0: recent weeks, you know that we've been in a sermon series that we're calling Letters to Friends, and it's a series where we're walking through Paul's letter to the church in Thessalonica. It was a church that he planted, a church that he was quickly run out of town after getting started, and in this letter we see over and over again Paul's tender love and concern for his friends that he's had to leave behind. His desire through this letter is to be an encouragement to these new followers of Jesus, encouraging them to stand firm in their faith in the face of persecution, to hold fast to their faith in the pain and the suffering, and to continue to love one another more and more as an expression of their love for God. And the plan for this morning was to walk through the first part of chapter four. And next week to cover the last part of chapter four. But well, this morning, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. And like so many times in our lives, our plans get interrupted. And so we've got to shift, and we've got to change. And so this morning we're actually going to cover the back part of chapter 4. Because in the back part of chapter 4, Paul is directly addressing the situation that we find ourselves in this morning. The Thessalonians are trying to wrap their heads and their hearts and their souls and their minds around what happens to their loved ones who have died in the Lord. What are they to believe? How are they to respond? How are they to live when life has been interrupted by the great interruption that is death? The great separator. And so this morning we're going to step into 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 starting in verse 13 and allow this part of Paul's letter which was intended to be an encouragement to the friends that he loved in Thessalonica to be an encouragement to us as we gather this morning. If you want you can follow along to the words on the screen but listen for God's word speaking to us this morning. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word that does speak to us in all times and seasons of our lives thank you that your word is as relevant today as it ever has been thank you that your word is a firm foundation your word will not return void thank you and so may you take your word and by your spirit will you shape it to speak deep into our hearts and our souls this morning. That we can know, not just know the truth in our heads, but know and experience it within our heart and our soul by your spirit. It's in the name of Jesus that we trust and we pray. Amen. One of the realities that we all know in life is that loss is inevitable. Many systems of faith, philosophy, and religion have been formed trying to answer these questions of why is there suffering, why is there pain, why is there loss, and how do we navigate it? We've been experiencing so much loss for the last two years as a part of this COVID pandemic. Almost 900,000 Americans have been lost. Some within your own friends and family. More than 110,000 restaurants have closed in these two years. And with that, the loss of dreams and livelihoods. We know loss is inevitable. Maybe you've experienced it as loss of jobs, loss of marriages, loss of purity, loss of reputation. Loss of dreams, loss of friendships, and loss of loved ones. And Paul is obviously directly addressing the loss of those that we love. And he's trying to help navigate these young followers of Jesus. What do we do with it? You know, what do we do? How do we do it? What gets us through it? And we want to answer, try to answer those three questions this morning. What do we do? What do we do with all this grief? What do we do with all the loss? And the answer is as simple as the question. We grieve. We grieve in all of its messiness, all of its unpredictability, all of that sense of being overwhelmed and unsure, all of the, I don't know how to do this, we grieve. Over and over, actually, throughout the scripture, we're given models of grieving. The psalms are filled with, maybe it's about 65 psalms of lament demonstrating to us, giving us an example how we can follow to grieve. Lament itself is, a, is an act of prayer and praise. It's an act of, of relationship with God. It's a recognition that only God can be God. And so we come, when we come to Him in the depth of our pain and our loss, our suffering and our brokenness, we are expressing our trust in Him. We're bearing the vulnerability of our hearts and our souls, the deepest wounds, we don't just share that with anyone. I mean, if I go to the grocery store today and the clerk asks the very common question, how are you? I promise I'm not going to tell the clerk how hurting I am. I tell that and we share that with those we are close with, those we let in, those we are vulnerable with. And in lament, we choose vulnerability with God. We choose intimacy with God. We choose relationship with God. When we lament, we share our hearts with him. Furthermore, lament is pleading with God pleading with God to act in accordance with his character and his promises to us. Because we're recognizing that only God can be God. And in this loss, we recognize how out of control and helpless we feel, how small and insignificant, how overwhelmed. And we say, God, only you are able to do something with this because I can't fix it, I can't overcome it, I can't suppress it, I can't move beyond it. Only you can do this, and you have promised to do this. You have promised us in your character, kindness, mercy, love, and goodness, compassion, and tenderness. And you have shown it over and over and over again throughout history and scripture and our lives as people of faith and we lament crying out God continue to be God show up for us in ways that we can't show up for ourselves but how do we lament how do we actually do it this is where we can follow the model that's given to us in the Psalms. We read one of them this morning, Psalm 6. And what I just want to encourage you with, sometimes in the midst of our grief, we feel this obligation to get over it, to move on, to overcome. And you don't feel that maybe today in the midst of shock and the rawness, but you may start to feel that pressure tomorrow or next week, or sometime down the line and I think the invitation of the Psalms is to be patient and gracious with yourself and with one another. 65 Psalms, almost half of the Psalms in the Bible are Psalms of lament and you don't have to put on a happy face and you don't have to pretend to be over things and move on but you can grieve, and you can grieve deeply. And as Psalm 6 invites us, you can cry and you can weep. I'm worn out from my groaning, the psalmist says. All night long, I flood my bed with weeping and drench my couch with tears. My eyes grow weak with sorrow. It's okay to be where you are in your grief. It's okay to weep and to cry and to groan and to be angry and to be hurt and to be sad and to bring all of that to the God who is inviting you into the relationship more deeply with him. In your grief, not despite your grief. And we're allowed to ask the questions. Sometimes as Christians we feel like we're not allowed to ask questions because we've been told not to question God and of course God is sovereign and God does know what is best and his will is good even when we don't understand it but it doesn't mean we're not allowed to at least ask the questions. We don't have to pretend they're not there. God knows they're there. The psalmist says, how long, Lord? How long am I going to wait for you? I don't know why. I have no good answers as to why God's timing is what God's timing is. I don't know why. God, why do some seem to die way too soon and others seem to linger on and on well past what if I were you they deserve? And just another good reason why I'm not God. And he is. But the Psalms are asking these questions because of, because of who God is. Not really to question who God is. It's more as an expression of, we know that you are good. We know that you are just. We know that you are merciful. We know that you are kind. We know that you are loving. We know you are for us. And so, why does it seem like you're not? And how long will we wait to see you move? And so, we lament. We cry we ask the questions i don't understand god and the psalms of lament have this pattern to them though which bears witness to us when we're in the midst of our grief and our pain because they start with this expression of anguish over the circumstance, over the reality of what people are experiencing and walking through. And by the end of the Psalms of Lament, they do end with prayers of praise and thanksgiving, but it's not because they had to force themselves to. They've been on a journey. It didn't happen in one moment and in one sitting. It was a It's a testimony to the goodness of God meeting us in the journey that is grief, the journey through the wilderness, the journey through the desert that is grieving and showing up just like he did for the people of God in the desert providing manna that they needed enough for today he shows up in the midst of the grief with enough for today to sustain you and enough when you need it for tomorrow and in the process discovering the faithfulness and the intimacy and the presence of God in the grief And so we lament. But Paul wants to make it clear. Yes, grieve. Yes, we will have pain. Yes, we will have loss. Yes, we will have suffering. But man, he is so clear that we grieve not as the world grieves, not as the rest of mankind, he says, who have no hope. We grieve but with hope, with a profound hope. That has so many layers to it. We grieve with a hope that Jesus said so clearly, blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. That's ridiculous. But it's a promise. It's a promise that in the brokenness is where God shows up. When we don't pretend is when he moves in because we're open and available to him. And Paul is in this moment trying to give them encouragement. He's talking to this young group of believers who have come to to believe and follow Jesus, but they've come from these walks of life that had no lasting and enduring hope. It came from this this background and this worldview of so many that was more in the eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. There is no sustaining hope. And so now these believers have come to this hope of a resurrected Messiah, a resurrected Jesus. And so what does that mean? Is there hope beyond He's speaking to some of them who came from the pagan background where there was no hope beyond. He's speaking to some who came out of the Jewish background who may have even grabbed on to a Psalm 6 where in Psalm 6, if you heard it, it said, among the dead no one proclaims your name. Who praises you from the grave where they didn't have necessarily a hope of a resurrection and an eternal life? And Paul's saying, yeah, I know. I know you've come from these places and I know it's hard to grasp, but the whole point is that Jesus came and died and rose again. That's the foundation for our hope. It's the foundation for our hope because death does not have the final say. Death is not the end. It is a great interruption of our relationships, but it is only an interruption. It does not last forever. Because death has been dealt a blow. Jesus rose from the dead. Death could not contain him, and he has overcome death once, and when he comes again, he will overcome death for all time. And so there is hope. There's hope that he's speaking to them that those who have died in the Lord are in his care. We just heard the beautiful rendition that was God's timing because it was previously planned that the Lord is my shepherd, that Jesus is the good shepherd watching over his sheep. He doesn't lose any of his sheep. Death has not caused Jesus to lose anyone. They're still in his care. And he will ultimately bring all of those who have died, who have, as Paul says, fallen asleep in death. He will will bring them to resurrection life, and then he will bring them with him when he comes again. When he comes down from heaven when he comes to finish off what he started and to finish off death so that it no longer reigns when he comes again and paul's saying so those that you love that you've lost grieve for them grieve because we've been interrupted, grieve because it hurts, grieve because that's real and shows and is the reality of our relationship and yet grieve with a hope that they are deeply in the loving care of God who gave his son for them. And he will bring them when he comes again. And he he then turns to speak to us. How are we to live? what's going to happen? There was an expectation that Jesus was going to come within Paul's lifetime. And as we know, we still wait. And so there is this reality that Paul's saying that when Jesus comes and brings those that we love who have died in the Lord with him, that we will be then caught up with him into the clouds in the air where we will meet the Lord. And quickly our minds probably start to go to all of those pictures of what heaven is like and being in the clouds and and that's not what Paul is getting at at all. He's actually drawing on an image that they would have known deeply in Roman society in the day that it was an image similar to when an emperor would come and visit a city. The people would leave the city. They would go out and they would celebrate the arrival of the emperor and then they would go into the city with him so that the emperor could come in. So the emperor who reigns over the city would be welcomed and celebrated and it would be a joyous party that he was there and the same imagery is for us. That when Jesus comes again, we will be caught into the air. We will go out to meet him, not so that we can become disembodied somehow, taken into this, this other sphere, but so that heaven itself could come to earth, so that the king of the universe could come to earth, so that the one who gave himself for us could come and reign here and now over our lives for eternity. That we could celebrate the arrival of our king, of kings who has overcome death itself. That's what resurrection hope is about. N.T. Wright says that the resurrection isn't about being disembodied, some disembodied life in the air. It's the re-embodiment of God's people to live with and for God in the new and redeemed world that God will make. The new and redeemed world where there is no more death, there is no more crying, there is no more heartache, there is no more grief, there is no more pain. That's our hope. That heaven will come to earth and will heal all the pain. Because life will reign supreme, not death. And ultimately Paul says we will be with the Lord forever. Friends, this is God's word for us this morning. The invitation to grieve, to lament deeply, but to grieve as those who have a profound hope, a profound hope that the King of life will come and will eradicate death and pain, and we together the family of God, the people of God will be united with him forever, reunited with all of those that we have lost and all of those who are with us today. Friends, that's what this table is a symbol of, that hope. That's why we're going to celebrate communion this morning because it's a communion of the saints, all the saints of God. All the saints' past, all the saints' future, this is a symbol of being united with them and with our Lord forever. So friends, let's pray as we start to move toward the table. Lord God, we, we thank you. Thank you that we can we could be honest and real with where we are this morning and every day, that we can grieve, that we can lament, that we can cry out, we can ask our questions, we can express our pain, our frustration, our worry, and we can do it to you with vulnerability, knowing that you are for us, that you will receive us with a tender compassion and mercy. And Lord God, may you fill our hearts Also, with that deep and profound hope, a hope that death is not the end, it's just an interruption, a hope that the king of kings, the king of life, Jesus, you will come to earth and you will eradicate all death, all pain, all evil, all suffering, all grief, grief, and death itself will be swallowed up in the victory of life with you,